Hey everyone, I'm Ashley Graham and this is Pretty Big Deal. Every episode, I'm going to have in-depth and personal conversations with some of my favorite people on how they walk the walk of self-talk. We'll find out about their pretty big deal moment and absolutely nothing is off limits. As always, this episode is sponsored by my go-to for all things makeup, Revlon. Today, I am talking to the hilarious Chelsea Handler. She's an actress, TV host, comedian, and entrepreneur. She's also probably one of the funniest people I know. Welcome, Chelsea. I'm so thankful that you um, said yes to come on to Pretty Big Deal. You're my first guest. Yeah. Okay, so very exciting. You have your HBO Max special coming out called Evolution. Yes. Very exciting. I am thrilled and the anticipation is killing me to watch it. But it's really interesting because... Girl, I heard you say that you were you had a lot of fear walking into this. Like you didn't even know if you wanted anybody to to hear from you, see you again. What's up with that? Once I left my I left my e show and then my Netflix show. Like I just I I think once that was all done, I just was like I I was kind of at a point where I didn't know what I wanted to put out. You know what I mean? What I wanted to contribute because I knew I wanted to make a contribution. I didn't want to just keep taking. You know, I kept I've kept feeling like I was offered all these opportunities with very little thought and why. And I kind of had some guilt about it and some confusion about it, you know, and then discovering my own, you know, my own white privilege and, you know, making making a movie about my white privilege, which was called Hello Privilege. It's me, Chelsea, for Netflix a couple of years ago. That combined with therapy really opened my eyes to the world that I'm in and what am I going to do moving forward? You know, once Trump was elected in 2016, I just thought, how could that have happened? And why am I not doing a better job of knowing what's going on in the world and in the country? And why does my work not reflect more important things instead of just being a loudmouth? So it was kind of like a big reset for me when I was, you know, going through therapy for the first time in a serious way in my adult life, ready to do the work and ready to have the emotional and intellectual equipment to articulate that I was in pain, that I had a lot of childhood pain that I had never visited and never gone through, really opened my mind to, okay, there's a higher level to operate in this world. I want to be like a conscious person. I want to be mindful. I want to put stuff out that's thought provoking and that's, you know, in the name of allyship. And so for to do stand up, you know, I had I, my my commodity has always been a talk show host. So to be to have that out of the way and then to come out with stuff when you're when you don't have that platform can be an ego fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're very tied to your connection to this industry because that's my identity. You know, I'm not in, in a marriage. I'm not I don't have a baby. I don't. My career was everything. Mm -hmm. So it was a real shift and a real like mindset shift to try to dig deeper and and also come with that comes like, are people going to like this side of me? They're so used to this one thing that they see, you know, are they going to be open to seeing that I'm a deeper, fuller, you know, more than one thing person? I think that now we are in such a state of deepness. Like there's there's not one conversation that goes by that even if you're just in the hair chair or you're in a car or you're walking down the street that like there isn't that serious conversation. So I think that this is incredibly timely and you 
you also named the special evolution. And I'm assuming you named it because this is like the evolution of your life. Yeah. Yeah. I, it used to be a revolution and then I, it became an evolution. <laughs> we were going to do revolution with the R crossed out and we're like, wait, that's too fucking confusing. <laughs> but yeah, evolution, because I think, you know, I've taken a lot of people on my ride, you know, the people that look to me for support or that are my fans. I've always been, you know, honest about everything I'm doing and I've always overshared. Yeah. So here was an opportunity for me to overshare in a meaningful way, mm-hmm. overshare my personal his like my personal experience with therapy, the humility, you know, the embarrassment of, of the gift of self-awareness of paying somebody for the transaction, you know, of telling you what your fucking problems are is a great gift. And I wanted to share that with everybody. I wanted to throw myself out there and be like, look, look, I, look at me. If I did it, anyone can do it. <laughs> I love it. You've talked, you've just mentioned so many things that I really want to get into between Trump therapy and white privilege. I thought was incredibly brave of you. And you may not call it brave because I don't call it brave when I have spoken about it, but white privilege. I feel like it's something that is necessary for us to talk about now, especially women who have figured out what white privilege is. And I just want to know, like, where did this become a priority for you? It was the inception of therapy or the beginning of therapy where I realized my position in this world and realized, wait, all of the things I've gotten and and gotten away with and the behavior that I've gotten away with, gotten away with the behavior that's been rewarded in my life, you know, Mm -hmm. and comparing that to a person of color in this world. And would they have been given the same opportunities? And all all of a sudden coming to the realization, yeah, I've worked hard. Yeah, I've Mm -hmm. paid my dues. But a lot of. Uh, you know, what I have is because of the color of my skin. And a lot of people in this world aren't willing to admit that, you know, white people aren't willing to admit that, you know, slavery's over. We had nothing to do with it. There's no racism, all of that. And I was very, you know, I get real riled up at any sort of unjustness. And I felt like, Okay, this is a this is something that people are denying the term white privilege. People are denying. So why don't I go investigate it and explain to people, white people, what it actually means? You know, and in the film, there were so many conversations yes. where I would say to someone, like, do you see racism? And they and this woman would be like, or I go, do what how, you know, do you feel like you have any racist racism in this town? Do you see it? She's like, I never see it. I'm like, that's your privilege of being a white person because no white people are looking out for racism when they're surrounded by other white people. You know, it's it's like it's your insular way of being. And it's and it's cultural, obviously, but we have to work so hard at dismantling it. Mm -hmm. You know, when people say like, oh, get over it. There's no you know, there's no white supremacy. This country was built on white supremacy. It was, you know, when when the slaves were freed, they gave the slave owners reparations, Mm -hmm. not the slaves. Slaves. Mm-hmm. They said, sorry that you're not going to have slaves anymore. Here's some money. Like this whole country was built on white supremacy and people don't understand how systematic it is and systemic and and that it's not over because it's over. We just have different laws now that allow cops to murder black people. You know, you could do that if it's your job. So it's like you have to look at the big picture and our incarceration, et cetera, et cetera. It is. So, I mean, I'm just passionate about it because it's something I know a lot about. I've done a ton of research on. I read every book that I can about it. I know you're an avid reader. Yeah. I just finished a 900-page book about Frederick Douglass. I've been Mm. reading it for six months. And I I was like, 
But it's, you know, I get in these moods too. My friends will be like, you're, you know, you're a little bit down. I'm like, that's because I've been reading about slavery for four months. Like I am down. And I, and I think it is our responsibility to sit with that discomfort. It's like, I, yeah, I want to read books that make me feel good too, but it's our sense of responsibility to read the ones that don't make us feel good, you know, to understand what people have been through. Now, it's interesting as a white person coming out and talking about white privilege, because I always feel like white people can't hear that unless if it comes from a white person. So when your special came out, I really applauded you in such a big way because I've I've been feeling that that needs to come from a white person. And did you get a ton of backlash? Were people just like really upset that you even, those words were breathed out of your mouth? Um, I probably, I mean, I usually get backlash for most things I do, but I mean, who cares? You know, I mean, I'm <laughs> telling a, I, I'm telling a story that's so true to yeah. so many people in this country. So I didn't get as much as one would think. I got a lot of feedback from people, a lot of black people being like, oh my God, thank goodness someone white is saying this. See, so that's we don't good. have to. That's great. And then a lot of black people who are upset, like you think a documentary is going to fix everything. Oh. And it's like, no, no, I'm not thinking that a documentary is going to fix anything. I'm mm. thinking it's going to be a conversation starter for a lot of people after they watch it. For those of you listening, I know you can't see it, but I'm wearing a really strong smoky wing applied by my amazing makeup artist, Katie. So she used the Revlon Tropical Vibes palette with a little bit of that added shimmer for a little sparkly, sexy look. I have to say, I love a sharp wing on me because I have more of a hooded eye and it lets me achieve that really romantic and dreamy effect. And these wings, oof, they are sharp, they are bold and they are so fierce. Live boldly with Revlon. Speaking of white privilege, we can't not talk about Trump. And something that you said was that if Trump wins in 2016, it's going to be the end of civilization as we know it. Well, yeah, I hope that's not true. I mean, he um, did win and here we are. I'm also glad that you've just been so vocal. I watched one of your IGTVs recently and you talked about why we need to vote and why it's so important and why you're voting for Joe Biden. And you talked about Kamala Harris, climate control and healthcare. How are you feeling right now? What are you, what are you going through? Just, you know, we've got a couple of weeks left before the election. I'm feeling pretty optimistic and I feel hopeful. I, you know, try not to watch the news. I don't want to. I'm addicted to it. So if I turn it on, it's like, you know, two hours down the toilet. So I try not to do that. I know. But I do feel optimistic. I feel like people are voting they, just by the sheer volume of votes that have been cast already. That means Democrats are in the lead. You know, mm -hmm. the more votes, the more likely it is that we have a big win. So I think we'll take the Senate and I think he'll lose. I don't know how quickly that'll happen, if it'll happen on election night. But I just think karmically in the world we're in, there's an opposite, you know what I mean? There's one action and then there's a reaction. And I don't believe Trump is meant to be here for eight years because if he is, that is the end of civilization. I mean, he's, you know, completely out of his tree and shouldn't even be allowed to publicly speak, never mind be the president. But I do feel op optimistic. I feel like women have banded together since 2016 in a way we haven't seen before. Yes. Where white women are understanding that their votes are against themselves and that we should be voting for the rights of our black brothers and sisters the way that they always vote in their best interests. 
And I think that that to me is the most beautiful thing that's come out of this, you know, from the Women's March to all of these women working together and to all of these people being politically activated. You know, yes. so many people are involved in politics now because it's an emergency. It is an emergency. And I like that the, the younger generation is really getting involved now. I'm going in and voting in person this coming Monday. I'm excited about that. But yeah, I'm going to go into and vote in person. I, I don't want my ballot to get lost. I just, I have a lot of fear around that. And I, I just don't want to have to even deal with that. You've talked a lot about voting, white privilege. You're a very active feminist and some would call you an activist. I mean, I definitely do. Is that some, is that a title that, that you're okay with? And how do you feel about it? Yeah, yeah, I'm totally okay with that. I love it. Someone once introduced me as only an activist. I'm like, wait, shit, does that mean I'm a full-time <laughs> activist? What does that mean? I'm like, that's putting too much pressure on me. But I think that, you know, with, you know, even with this stand-up special, I didn't want to do stand-up. I was nervous, like, to circle back a little bit. I, w I was nervous because I didn't know if that audience would still be there for me. You know, mm. I didn't know if it's just our own inner dialogue of negativity and self-doubt and insecurity. And it was a good place for me to be because I hadn't been there in a while. You right. know what I mean? I hadn't really dug deep and done the work. And I think once you're given the gift of self-awareness, you start to really reconcile, like, oh, wait. I've been a fucking bitch. Like I have acted badly in, on numerous occasions. And you're like, oh no. And then you like almost overcorrect. You know what I right. mean? Because you, you're like, oh, I better not talk at all. <laughs> like all I do is fucking tell everybody my opinions, whether they're interested or not. <gasps> so then you have like this period of overcorrection where you're just like, I'm going into social situations, barely saying anything, just listening, listening to the point where people are like, are you, are you stoned? Can you speak? <laughs> and so- it was an interesting kind of um, amalgamation of taking your old personality and applying the new tools of self-awareness that you're given and to keep your edge and what makes you you and to bring that forward so that you're even better than before. But with that comes a lot of self-doubt, a lot of self-annihilation. And so to answer your question, I think, was uh, with this stand-up special, you know, I didn't want to come back to stand up until I had something important to say. Yeah. And I think you I didn't want to just tell jokes. And, you know, I mean, I did that before and I did it. I did it recklessly and haphazardly and got paid exorbitant amounts of money for just doing what I want when I wanted and and doing it with, you know, a lot of insensitivity towards others, you mm -hmm. know, just for the laugh. So I am in a big, you know, in a really different place. And so I feel like the integrity of my work shows up in that way because I'm now singularly focused on each project. When I did that documentary, it was that. When I wrote my book last year, it was that. When I am doing this special, it's been this. Yeah. And I don't have 18 things juggling like I used to. Right. I do one thing at a time and it shows up. It does show up. And I feel like you can add activist to your repertoire now. And I think that that's a beautiful thing because you've put the work in and you've talked incredibly candidly about going to therapy and how important that's been. And that's a new thing for you, going to therapy? Well, I mean, you know, I used to go like I had gone, but never really with the intention of fixing anything that ran deep, you know, like as soon as they scratched the surface, I was like, oh, you're annoying. You know, everyone annoys me. So that's a perfect excuse. I'm like, you're, he's too annoying. She's too annoying. She asked too many questions. It's like, well, she's a fucking therapist. But, um, you know, they, I was just happened to be in the right time. Right and the right place to be able to actually get real. And believe mm. me, for the first, you know, 
probably six or seven sessions, I couldn't even like, you know, any closeness we got to me, you know, my eyes watering or getting emotional, I would literally like do Kegel exercises. I would be sitting there like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry in front of this man. Mm. Do not let this man see you vulnerable. Do not. Like I had such a protective shield around myself like that I couldn't be vulnerable in front of a man. I just couldn't. And so he had to like unpick that. And every time he got close, you know, I I was like, no, 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 my body just shut down. I'd be like, you can't, can't, can't cry. I can't cry until eventually you just, you know, there's not running out of your nose, like for eight sessions in a row. And you're like, "Ah." (laughs) Did you ever figure out like what that was about being vulnerable around a man? Yeah, I did. It was, you know, my brother died when I was nine and I, and my father had a terrible reaction to that, obviously. So my brother, like the last thing he said to me was, you know, I'll never leave you with these people talking Mm -hmm. about my parents. And then he went on a hiking accident in Cheyenne, Wyoming, the Grand Tetons, and he fell off a cliff and he died. Mm -hmm. So for a nine-year-old brain, what my psychiatrist explained to me was you hold on to that pain because you can't reconcile it. You're too young. And all it is is rejection. Mm. He told me he was coming back and he lied and he wasn't more careful. If he really loved me, he would have been more careful and he wouldn't have let himself die. Mm. And then subsequent to that, my father just was dead too. You know, he lost his firstborn son and his face was never the same. His hair went gray like overnight. It was really painful. Mm. And so It was the rejection of those two men in my life, even though they weren't rejecting me. Mm -hmm. But as a little girl, that's all I could see. It it was that rejection that forced me to, like, strong up, you know, beef up. I'm not going to have to need a man again. I'm not going to rely on men because the two men that I trusted the most were unreliable. Wow. And so that's deep, you know. (laughs) Wow. That is so deep. But that is so necessary. Yeah, I feel I feel like I just kind of exhaled a little bit because I just started therapy in quarantine for the first time ever. And it was a lot of realizations that I had as well. I think that, first of all, we, everybody kind of talks about therapy as like a fashion statement. Oh, yeah, I've, I take therapy also. But when you actually go into it, like how you said, like you actually allowed the therapy to work, that's when it's most effective. And I kept saying, I'm fine, I'm good, everything's okay. And I kept putting a wall up because Miss Positivity over here, when everything wasn't fine, everything wasn't okay. And I had to succumb to the fact that there were issues in my life that I had to hit and, and face um, head on. And I'm so glad that I was able to talk to this woman candidly. It was like I was just able to release so much that I didn't know was balled up. And I'm so thankful for people like you who actually talk about therapy candidly because it just, I think it makes so many people just feel like they aren't alone, that this is an okay conversation to have, and there's nothing wrong with feeling vulnerable. Right. And also it's a, you know, when you're going to therapy, you're you're actively searching for discomfort. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like there was, uh, you know, eight weeks where every time I went, I knew that I was going to spend an hour and a half bawling in front of mm. somebody. So driving to that excursion, knowing what your next hour and a half is going to be like and saying yes to it, to get through the pain, to know intellectually, if I don't go through this pain and live it through for the first time in my life, then I will always be stunted. Mm-hmm. So it's so liberating. 
liberating, you know, mm-hmm. to learn about vulnerability, to know that vulnerability is strength, not weakness. Mm-hmm. You know, I always thought it was weakness. I always was like, you know, and also the, the things that happened to us in our childhood that we don't give a lot of credence to, but we have such strong memories of. Yes. Like, I remember I have this memory of, you know, these girls in my class all getting together and they and excluding me and they didn't invite me. And as an adult, like, you know, I, if I remember that, it's in me, you know, as an adult, when you have a certain reaction to things, even as a 45 year old woman, you're like, wait, what is that? Like to get the language like, oh, that's your little girl mm-hmm. that was rejected once you're, that you don't have to worry about that anymore because you're an adult and you're OK and you can nurture that part of you and be like, it's OK. Mm-hmm. That's not the way it is anymore. You don't have to react that way anymore is an exercise. You have to practice it. You know, you have to keep practicing it and keep saying yes to uncomfortable thoughts, even though they may make you uncomfortable, like even feelings of jealousy, when you have feelings of jealousy towards people and you feel bad about it, like, why am I jealous of another woman? And then you're like, hey, 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 that's your like little girl. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Acknowledge, And then it just kind of it, like it, it releases it because when you resist something, then it persists. You know, when you resist a thought or a feeling, it just keeps attacking your brain. Yes. And our thoughts can get very negative and it's our it's our responsibility to keep it up. Keep our vibrations high, up, positive. You know, I've been in a bad way these last. I came home from like a two-month vacation. I was back east filming my special and then I I just was back east cuz COVID was better there and I was so sick of being in LA because it was getting so out of control here. Mm -hmm. And I came back and my decks had been painted black. My entire house, my decks had been painted black. And I've done way too much therapy to be upset about decks. But I, I, I mean, my assistant, I mean, I must have screamed at him for 30 minutes. I mean, too hot to even walk on. That's how black they were. Oh they were supposed to be stained while I was gone. And I lost my shit. And that was the first time I've lost my shit, you know, like really yeah. since I've gone to therapy. And I was so mad at myself. I was so disappointed in myself. And I was so down for like two weeks because I'm like, how could you do that? How could you mm. lose your cool? It's just decks. It's money. It's nothing. You know, like this isn't something to be upset about. And the process of like berating myself about my behavior becomes a cycle mm. of negativity. And then you're feeling bad about yourself. And then you really can't snap out of it because mm. you're in a pity party mm. and you have to to like really pull yourself out of those negative thoughts. What and are just those do tools? Better. What are the tools that your therapist gave you that you use now? So like when you went into that two week banter with yourself, like how did you get yourself out of that? Well, I did get stuck for a while. My sister called me the other day. She goes, you've been in a mood, bad mood since you got home. And I was like, well, have you seen my decks? And she said, <laughs> she's like, she goes, you need to go to Dan. I was like, well, Dan's annoying me right now, my therapist. And she's like, I go, everyone's annoying me right now. And she goes, well, this is not, you know, you've been doing so well for like three or four years. Like this is old Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah, I know. I'm aware, Simone, but there's an election happening. We're in a pandemic that is interminable. There's no end in sight. I can't travel. I'm, I feel suffocated, you know, I'm I'm mm-hmm. always traveling and I can't leave the country because mm-hmm. no one will accept us. And I th- I, so I'm like, I think it's a pretty good fucking time to be in a bad mood. And my sister said, we'll just snap out of it. And I said, you snap out of it. Can't just snap out of it. But then I woke up and I was like, you better. So the tools are to not be small. You know, Mm. I always write that. I have that written down. Don't be small. Like don't negativity is always small. Gossiping is small. You know, it's the lowest common denominator of everything. So Whenever I get down, you know, too low, I just remember that I'm being small, you know, Mm. and that I'm not being generous of spirit. Mm. So then is that where you go into, like, do you say affirmations? Do you have gratitude? Do you have a practice that you go into? Do you meditate? 
Yeah, I meditate every morning for 20 minutes. And if I need to do it twice a day, I do it twice a day, which recently I've been been searching. You know, sometimes you feel like you're meditating and you're like, this isn't working. This isn't working Mm because, you know, but it's the practice of actually doing it every single day to Mm -hmm. say to yourself, I'm giving myself these 20 minutes or however long to actually take care of my body, like take care of my mental gym. Like, you know, my psychiatrist is like, it's like a mental gym. You know, you have to be fit mentally. So you can't just, you know, read one book. You have to read 80 about the right frame of mind and about being mindful. And also, you know, the benefits of when you are positive and when things are good and going with the flow of things and being an energy that, that people are drawn to is so rewarding. Why would you want to be anything else? Mm-hmm. I hear you. It just has to be genuine because that's what I got caught up in. But I think as long as it's genuine, that's all that matters. Also, you know, I like standing up for yourself. Yes. You know, a lot of people are good at standing up for other people, but not for themselves. Mm. And, you know, I've I've been that way, too. But standing up for yourself in a dignified way, like and not worrying about the ripple effects, like your own best team member. So it, you don't have to mm. act selfishly or slovenly, but when you have to stand up for yourself, like it's so empowering to do so. I like that. I haven't actually heard anybody say that, to stand up for yourself. This is such like a giving time and everybody keeps saying like to, to, to give to the person next to you. But if you actually think about, you have to take care of yourself before you can take care of others, to stand up for yourself is important. I'm writing that one yeah. down. Thanks, Dan, for that one. I'll take that one. <laughs> I'll text that to you. Today, I want to talk to you about one of my favorite things to do, and that is take a long, steamy shower. There is nothing more that I love than to lather up, towel off, and moisturize. So what I like to do is start with my face, and then I apply the lotion from the top of my neck all the way down to the tips of my toes. My love for long showers is well-documented. You should have seen my water bill. That was the old me before I had a nine-month-old, and now I'm lucky if I can even get into the shower. This is why I love Flamingo's body moisturizing products. It includes a deep moisturizing cream and a really cool hydrating spray. So with the hydrating spray, I just spray it onto my body, I rub it in once or twice into my skin, and I'm fully hydrated all day. Bada bing, bada boom. Oh, and did I mention that Flamingo's products are dye-free, paraben-free, and cruelty-free? Hello? So go ahead and get yourself some moisturized, hydrated skin with Flamingo's body products, and make sure you tell them that Ashley sent you. I'm also very proud of you because you've now turned from uh, drug aficionado to uh, drug entrepreneur. Yeah, baby cakes! Okay, I want to hear the story around your new cannabis line. I have a partnership with Sweet Flower right now for my stand-up special, where you kind of joined forces and partnered up for this reason. So everyone, but I am a can, but I will be having a cannabis line coming out. COVID put a little pin on that. So it'll be delayed, but I just have to tell you, I mean, cannabis was part of my evolution Mm. and that's, and it's a big part of my stand-up special because I was always a big drinker. I was never into cannabis. And after the election, you know, alcohol and outrage is not a good mix. (laughs) Not a gut, not a hot look. Not at all. So I I was like, oh, when cannabis became legal in the state of California, there was this educative component that had all of a sudden was missing for 50 years. You know, the last time I took an edible, I ended up at a movie theater. And when the movie ended, 
I got up to leave the theater only to realize I was on an airplane. No. <laughs> oh, God. So I tell that story in my stand-up I because have- that was my last experience with cannabis. I didn't just get up. I got my stuff together. Like, I got in the overhead bin. I got my jacket out. I put my belt on. I was like, what what are these idiots waiting for looking at the other passengers? I was like, what are they waiting for? The credits? Oh, my God. And I went to the front door, you know, where the little window bagel (laughs) is. And I was like, what? And I heard a tap, tap, tap on my, or felt a tap, tap, tap on my shoulder. And the flight attendant was like, sweetie, there are three more hours left in this flight. And I'm like, I know. Were you on a commercial (laughs) plane or private? A commercial (laughs) in front of tons of people. And then like like 10 years later, a flight attendant comes up to me on another commercial, on a private plane. I wouldn't have cared. I mean, they would have known what what they were dealing with. But uh, uh, you might have taken two edibles. (laughs) Yeah, one for me, one for the pilot. Um, Like 10 years later, this flight attendant comes up to me and she's like, hey, I heard a funny story about you once. And I was like, what? And she goes, I heard you once tried to get off an airplane mid-flight. And I was like... Uh, I blamed Elizabeth Banks for that. (laughs) Well, first of all, in this new line, do you have any recommendations for new mommies? Well, yeah, anything to take the edge off. But I mean, yeah, I like, I don't know. See, we have different kind of products in LA and New York. It's not always the same. That's true. But also, I I heard that your line is geared more towards women also. Well, what I was interested in doing and what we are doing is there's a strain called THCV, which is an appetite suppressant. Okay. So the biggest problem with women and weed is we don't, we can't control ourselves. You know, Mm. we get stoned and then we eat like the whole entire kitchen. So... I wanted to really bring, because men have been in charge of the cannabis industry for so long. They've, of course, never cultivated this plant, THCV, Mm -hmm. because they don't give a shit about their appetites. (laughs) I want to empower women, you know, with cannabis. I want women to feel as emboldened, as empowered as men do. They don't get this, too. This is our drug, too. And with microdosing, you know, you take two and a half milligrams, you take five milligrams. I just sent Ellen DeGeneres. I was doing her show um, yesterday. And she, uh, I just, cause she's like, I can't take cannabis. And I said, there's something for everyone. You know, and I went home and I looked at all of my, like I have a whole pantry full of goods and I prescribe different things for different people based on what their maladies are. Like some people, yeah, some people, I'm a pharmacological into it. Some people have like uh, sleeping issues. Ellen has anxiety issues and she's really paranoid about taking it. So I gave her like one of those can, I sent her a case of those canned drinks. I was like, just take half of this. It's CBD not THC. Right. So you don't get the psychoactive, you get the body, you know, calm. Right. So I just, I have a good eye for what people need and like, and it's a great way to just sand down the edges. And sometimes like the great thing about taking an edible is you take it and you kind of forget. And then like 45 minutes later, you're just like, everything's a little bit more interesting. You know what I mean? Like a little bit more sparkly. And you're like, oh, oh, this is good. And you're like, oh yeah, I took that edible. That's why. Were you really involved in the testing of each of the products? Oh yeah, I still am. I mean, I, of course I'm a total, I, you're the guinea pig. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take I take edibles all the time. But now these canned drinks are even better. I haven't because seen it's this. Like, yeah, they're called canned. Maybe they don't have them in New York yet. And then there's a new brand coming up called Palmos. But they have, you know, it's like having a cocktail. Because uh. the thing I do is, like, if I don't want to drink, which I don't want to drink every night, you know, I like to drink, like, three nights a week and not overdo mm-hmm. it. If you go out to dinner, you know, sometimes I can, I'll take an edible. But if everybody's having cocktails, you're just like, you kind of feel like a dud or, you know, mm-hmm. you want to participate. 
But now if you can drink it and you can have that and mix it with your cocktail, it has the same effect as alcohol, no hangover, no bloat. Wow. Like it's just, it's a cannabis game from here on out, I think. I think so too. And also great investment. And like you said, I want to see women thriving in that industry. So bravo. Yeah. yeah. Maybe when I'm dr- done breastfeeding, I can try some, 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 some. Maybe some. when you're done breastfeeding in four years, you can try some. <laughs> I know. Justin's like, can you go forever? I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not that mother. Speaking of Justin, uh, you dedicated your latest book to your future husband. (laughs) I just love that you did that. And I want to know, who is this future husband? Can you describe him to me? Because we need to speak him into existence. Yes, we do. I also dedicate my stand-up show to my future husband. Because I do want, I don't really want, you know, a husband. I would get married if I was really in love with somebody at at this point, because now I know my mistakes are probably going to be fewer, you know, and less frequent now that I've learned so much. And I am 45, so I'm not a little girl anymore. But I do want to be with somebody. I just, like, I'm ready. And I don't know... Sometimes I'm like, maybe I'm just not, I shouldn't be in LA. It's like the worst, like it's the worst place to meet somebody. I've lived here for 25 years and all of my boyfriends have been from New York. Oh, wow. So, well, maybe that's a sign. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm definitely looking at New York to, to get a place in New York because obviously it's a huge opportunity right now with everybody leaving. You I know. know. When I know. New York rises up again, it's going to be incredible. It is going to be incredible. What are your non-negotiables for a husband or a, a boyfriend, a partner, whatever you want to call him? I just really need somebody with a sense of humor. They don't have to make the joke, but they have to get the joke. Okay. You know, and I want somebody who's super confident and, su- you know, and super strong, physically stronger, bigger than me. I like guys that, can, you know, I'm very old fashioned. I like older men, but now that I'm 45, I, that margin needs to decrease, if you yes. know what I mean. Because yes. like when I was 20, I dated a 50 year old. When I was 30, I dated a 60 year old. No, when I was 30, I dated a 50 year old. And I'm 45. I'm not down to fuck a 65-year-old. I mean, I will when I'm 65, but not right now. Like, now it needs to come down a little. But, you know, someone strong. And I love to ski. I would love somebody who could ski with me. You know, I was really into Andrew Cuomo for the beginning of the pandemic, like many women. I saw your trailer, girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So he was definitely I had my eye on him, but I don't even know if I could actually, if if it came down to it, if I could get down with that, I'm not even sure. You know what I mean? Okay. And you know, like for me, I've always told my um, girlfriends who are dating, remember the 80-20 rule. You are never going to get 100% of somebody that you're wanting to marry or be with forever. It's that 20%. If it grows to be bigger than 20%, you're never going to want to stay with them. But just remember that 20%. It's like, okay, I can deal with this crap, but this 80% trumps that that 20. What's the 20% of your guy that is that is... <sighs> That you you tolerate but don't love. He just takes forever to, like, get out of the house or to do something. I'm just like, Justin, could you please hurry the F up? I am such a fast person when it's like I have systems in place. I've got the schedule. I've got the calendar. I know where the baby, the the purse, the da-da-da, everything is. And he just doesn't match that, and it infuriates me. And that is almost like a full 15%. (laughs) No, that is annoying. I'm like you. I could get ready in five minutes. Yeah. I hate waiting. And, and I'm always early to everything, like such a loser. No matter, <laughs> even when I try to be late, I'm early. I love you for I'm like, that. I'm like sitting in your car because my parents never picked me up from high school or regular school or Hebrew school. So I think I have like this, you know, I have to like overcompensate by being everywhere on time because I was never anywhere on time as a child. Wow. 
Okay, last question. How are you feeling tomorrow? Your special comes out. I'm pretty excited. I'm really excited for people to see it. I'm really excited to hear what people think. And I'm really excited to share this because it's so personal. And I wanted to achieve, you know, there's that moment in that movie Steel Magnolias mm. when Sally Field loses Julia Roberts' character. She dies and she's inconsolable and she's crying. She's like, I, I just uh, I just want to hit someone. I want to hit someone. <laughs> and Olympia Dukakis, like, she sh shoves whoever in front of her. She goes, here, hit Weeza, hit her. <laughs> And that click of like that emotional, like hysterical laughter to hysterical crying is like, I love the essence of that. And I wanted to, I wanted to accomplish that in the special and I, and I think I did. So I'm excited for people to see that side of me. This is a pretty big deal moment and I'm very excited. And again, Chelsea, thank you for coming on. I can't wait to actually squeeze you in person because it's just been too long. I know, me too. I love you and I miss you. I know, I love you, I miss you too. Thank you again. Thank you, honey. Congrats on everything. Thank Say you. hi to Justin. I will. And your mom. Say I hi will. to mom. I honey. will. She loves you. <laughs> I know. I love her too. I should be her daughter. <laughs> I have to say that was such an amazing conversation with Chelsea. Again, thank you for sharing your complete evolution. Chelsea Handler's new comedy special, Evolution, is now streaming on HBO Max. Listen and subscribe to Pretty Big Deal on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast and make sure to follow us on Instagram at Pretty Big Deal Pod and on Twitter at Pretty Big Pod. Finally, don't forget to share your PBD moments with me on social media with the hashtag PrettyBigDeal. Thanks for listening. Mwah.